Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the Chiefs game and a preview of what's coming up next for this team. Tom McLevy's going to stop by for another McLevy minute. Sands is going to stop in with some expert analysis. And Justin Lacey is also going to come by with some opinions on the game and where we go from here. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Week 17 review Cincinnati Bengals 34, Kansas City Chiefs 31. We're witnessing something really special here. AFC North champs, a playoff berth. It was a great day for all Bengals fans. I mean, we've been loyal to this team through thick and through thin, and here we are back on top again. This was our biggest victory in 15 years, I'm going to say, if not longer, if not ever. I go back to 2005 when we beat the Lions to clinch a playoff berth for the first time in 15 years. That was pretty monumental. But looking at this team, Joe Burrow is going to be in the running for MVP for years and years to come. And I would say Jamar Chase is one of the most exciting Bengals we've ever gotten to see. Just electric every time he touches the ball. I just can't believe he's putting up 200-yard games and setting records like this in his rookie year. He's played 16 games, and he looks like the best receiver in the league. How far can this team go? If they play like they played this week, sky's the limit. And, you know, the future is even brighter. This year, we're going to have a good shot. We're going to make a good run. It's going to be exciting to watch. And no matter what happens... It's a big accomplishment what we did this year. And then moving forward, you have a 4,000-yard passer. You have a 1,000-yard rusher. You have 2,000-yard receivers that are all 25 years old or younger. I mean, that's a nucleus that can carry you to a dynasty. All right, I'm going to get to the Chiefs game in just a minute. And typically, I do a preview of the upcoming game, and this would be against the Browns. But this week, it's kind of a meaningless game. I don't even know if Mayfield's going to be playing So I'm not going to do the usual preview, but I do want to talk about how I would approach the Browns game. So first off, yes, we do have a chance at home field advantage and the first seed, but a lot of things have to happen. The Chiefs are playing the Broncos on Saturday, so we can kind of see what happens there. If the Chiefs win, there's really no shot at getting the first seed. And then the Titans play the Texans on Sunday, and I don't know if the Texans have enough to beat a Titans team that's fighting for home field advantage as well. So, you know, we can have our eye on climbing the ladder and trying to get that first seed, but I truly feel it's more important to protect our guys and rest our guys, but not totally. Because you know how it goes. A lot of teams that get the bye, they lose momentum. They go into that next week not as intense as the team that just played. So I don't want to go totally cold into that game and rest everybody for this game. I almost think we take like a preseason approach to it. You know, as long as Burrow's healthy with his knee, because I know he was having some right knee issues and limping around at the end of the game. So that's the X factor. If Joe Burrow's not feeling good this week and you want to get him another week of rest, I'm totally for that because he is the most important piece. And we've seen he came into this season cold without ever. He played three snaps in preseason, three kind of pedestrian snaps. So I trust him to sit out for a week, two weeks, and be strong when he comes back. Everyone else, I'd like to see as I said, that preseason approach of getting everyone a couple series, don't expose anyone too much to injury. And here's here's the deal with the Browns. Clowney's a dirty player. Miles Garrett is an animal, and if he gets a hold of Burrow and you know lays some hits on our guys, that could be dangerous. 
McDowell has shown that he's pretty cheap out there. He, you know, he was the one who slammed Burrow from behind on an interception where it was unnecessary. So there's a lot of risk against this Browns team, especially because they're angry, they're insulted. You know, if the season hasn't went the way they wanted it to, they were supposed to be the team looking for a bye in the first round as opposed to, you know, sitting out watching the playoffs. So I don't trust the Browns to play a clean game. So I definitely don't want to expose our guys too much, but you do want to get them a little bit. You want to get the defense out there a quarter or so. Maybe that's it. Maybe you play everyone a quarter. You get Chase, the Bengals receiving record, if you want to get him another 12, 13 yards. I mean, I'm not one for risking injury just to put up numbers, but I mean, that might be a nice thing to do based on the season that he's had. I know Boyd wants to get 1,000 yards, but he's like 170 away. I don't want to see Tyler Boyd in the game long enough to try to get the 1,000 this week. It's just not worth it. So you take it like that. You play the first quarter. You get everyone in. The offense gets in sync. The defense continues their communication. You know, we we work on stopping Chubb a little bit. We need some practice after what Darrell Williams did this game. And then after the first quarter, you start pulling guys. I mean, let's go position by position. On the offensive line... I wouldn't leave Jonah in there more than a quarter, quarter and a half. The receivers, the big three, get them out. You know, let the backups get in there. Let Trent Irwin get some snaps. Let Mike Thomas get some snaps. Let Stanley Morgan get a couple catches. He, he's earned it by all of his special teams work this year. I mean, Mixon, no, maybe a carry or two. Not too much of a load on him. He's another one that would benefit more from rest than momentum. P. Ryan deserves a shot in there, too. Chris Evans, let's get him some rushes. That's a good game to get him ramped up and ready for the playoffs. You know, right down the list, let's get Wilcox some time and and preserve Uzama. Defense, let's really protect that defensive line. You know, Hendrickson is in protocol, so I don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, Von Bell is in protocol. I don't know what's going to happen with him either. So those are guys that you might not even want to play at all this week. But, you know, your readers, your Ogunjobis, your Hubbard, Logan Wilson's banged up. You know, not too much time for any one of these guys. The corners especially. Just a little bit of time for everybody just to not be totally cold going into next week. And as I said, slowly put in the backups this game. And by halftime, third quarter, fourth quarter, it's going to look like a preseason game. And it doesn't matter. You know, whether we go 11-6 and six or 10-7, and seven, not that important. I mean, I would rather sit where we are right now and see the Raiders win and play the Raiders in the first round. But I'm not afraid of the Patriots. I'm not afraid of Mac Jones. And Mac Jones is having trouble on the road this year. I'm not afraid of the Colts with Carson Wentz. I mean, they're a very solid team. They run the ball outstanding. They have a great defense, a great offensive line, great defensive line. The whole package, the Colts are a very good team. But I'm not worried about Carson Wentz beating Joe Burrow. I'm not worried about Mac Jones beating Joe Burrow. Certainly not worried about Derek Carr beating Joe Burrow. So bring on the Raiders, bring on any of them. But either way, let's protect our guys against the Browns, and let's get ready for the playoffs. Let's get ready to make a push. You win one game, now you're in the semifinals, basically. You win two games, you're fighting for the for the AFC Championship. It's so close. It's so within reach. And as I said, no one wants to play us right now. We're the hottest team in the AFC. Maybe the hottest team in football. In other news, we signed a kicker and a long snapper to the practice squad. Now, I think that's an intelligent move. You get two guys in, get them used to your system, get them coached up the way you want to get them coached up because, you know, if something happens protocol-wise or some crazy injury, you don't want to go into the playoffs trying to sign a kicker off the street last minute and a long snapper, that's dangerous too. You know, you want to get a guy in here, get a ton of reps for him just in case something happens. So pretty intelligent moves 
you know what, we're not going to let some weird circumstance take out our kicking game. So excellent job by the front office as they have been doing all season long. You know, when you think about it, grabbing Eli Apple off the scrap heap, even Flowers is doing well. The way that we drafted this year and the last couple years, it's been very good front office-wise, and they continue to make intelligent moves. And you keep doing that, and you're going to win championships. All right, I want to start off the Chiefs game review with a quote from Coach Taylor. And this is a winning mentality. This is a leader. This is possibly why he's in the running for Coach of the Year. It's statements like this and a mentality like this. So he says, To take this division, it's not just kick a field goal and let Patrick Mahomes do something. I've got a ton of faith in our defense to come up there, but the things worth having, you got to go get them and not wait for someone to give them to you. And I thought that's what our guys did today. One of the big takeaways from this game and for our season for the most part has been Coach Taylor's courage on fourth down. I mean, in this game, we went for a fourth down deep in our own territory as the game was getting late. No fear. Lots of trust in the offense, and they repay you. You know, Burrow is a winner. Burrow is clutch. And you're saying, you know what, we're going to go for a fourth down at our own 40, and if we miss this, Patrick Mahomes is probably going to march them downfield for a touchdown. So here you go, Joe. The ball's in your hands. Let's do it. And then obviously at the end of the game, just going for it on fourth down where, I mean, I have a conservative mentality when it comes to that. I think like high percentage, let's just kick the field goal. But man, you know, you kick the field goal, you're up and you watch Mahomes march them downfield in 30 seconds and break your heart. So I admire the courage that he has made in these decisions. Definitely more courage than I would have shown as a coach. The Bengals crowd was electric for this game. You could see it. It was another packed house. And Bengal Jim Foster, who's become a friend of mine through Instagram and social media, you couldn't have a more deserving ruler of the jungle. And I saw his speech before the game. He was fired up. You could have put pads on him, and I would have trusted him to go out there for a few plays. Very well deserved. That guy has just been a true Bengal fan, going to all the road games, putting out his own money for this monster tailgate every game being charitable and raising money for good causes. He has an amazing Bengals collection. I, you know, I just want to say, big, big-time fan that I have a ton of respect for, and you couldn't have a better ruler of the jungle. All right, so Quentin Spain got rolled up on. Same play. What a, a devastating play. Burrow gets banged up, and his knee doesn't feel right after it, and he falls into the back of Spain's leg, and his Spain gets his ankle rolled up on, and He's going to miss a couple weeks, so that's a really tough injury because you're looking at Jackson Carmen coming in there who's struggling a little bit. I don't know if Deontay Smith is going to go there. I don't know what we're going to do specifically just yet. And the offensive line, again, they did a good enough job to win this game, but Joe's running for his life again. And we talked about it at the top of the show. This is something that we're going to fix eventually, and we're going to have to just live with this season. But, I mean, four sacks, six hits... Burrow got his nameplate torn off. That's how much they were on top of him this game. And he got himself out of trouble, which could have been another couple sacks. So, Coach Pollock, keep coaching these guys up. You guys on the offensive line, you know your Bengals. I'm pulling for you. You have to be at your best from this point on. You have to do everything you can to keep Joe Burrow healthy because he's going to take you places. The biggest thing that shows that you're a great team and can go places is we overcame three 14-point deficits in one game against the Chiefs, against, at the time, the number one seed. You know, the everyone's 
favorite quarterback, everyone's favorite offense, Kelsey, Hill, all three speed receivers, and Mahomes, and here we were, going punch for punch, and even coming back, like I said, three times from 14 points. That is so hard to do. It's hard to do that one time against a very good defense. We did it three times in one game. And when the game started, Mahomes looked unstoppable. He was accurate. He was finding everybody. On those rollouts, he was deadly. You knew when he rolled out and bought time that he was going to find one of those great receivers downfield. And it was looking ugly in the beginning. When we were down 14 nothing, I was like, man, is this going to be like the Chargers game where we dig ourselves a hole and you know we fight valiantly to get out of it, but we still fall short? And you can't fall behind that team too much because they can score at will. And there it was, 14 nothing. And then Jamar Chase came to town. We'll go over the chase plays in a little bit, but that just saved it. You know, 14 nothing, not looking good. You know, everyone was hanging their heads. I was even saying, like, I feel bad for the people in the stadium right now because they're out there pouring their hearts into it. It's cold out, and you're watching the Bengals get whooped, and that changed pretty quickly. So then when it became 21-14, I was saying, just one stop. That's all we need. We're going score for score against these guys, and all you needed to do was stop them once because you knew that we were going to keep scoring. And that didn't happen right away, but then it eventually happened, and we'll go into that in just a minute. And I was shocked that Darrell Williams ran so well. And, you know, some of the thought is that we picked our poison like a Bill Belichick defense and said, hey, we're going to stop Kelsey and Hill. And by doing that, you know, you're susceptible to other guys stepping up. But he, he was running really strong. I didn't expect that at all, especially with our defensive line, and especially on first down. You were seeing the Chiefs rattle off five, six, seven yards on first down. That puts you in that second and short. Now you can throw the ball down the field. It just opens up your whole playbook. And we were constantly in that boat of letting up a lot of first down yardage. And that's something that we need to clean up as we make this playoff push. And just a side note, I'm not a fan of the rugby scrums. You've seen them more like the last year or two than ever, where you kind of stop the running back and then people are pushing from behind. The refs are late blowing the whistle and you watch the pile fall forward for four yards. I don't know. I, I, I just think they should blow the whistle earlier on those plays. Just my opinion. It's, it's frustrating either end that you're on. I mean, I like it when the Bengals do something like that, obviously. But it's something that I think the NFL should look at because it don't, it's just almost like an unfair thing. You know, when a receiver has his forward progress stopped, they blow the whistle. Why are you letting running backs have their progress stopped and letting the play go on for another three seconds while people are just pushing them downfield? I don't know. Just my thought. And defensively, holding Kelsey to 25 yards after tight ends have been doing their damage against us, holding Hill to 40 yards. And then the other three, Hardman, Pringle, Robinson, they all kind of just had one big catch each. Really limited that whole receiving core. Excellent job by our defensive backs and our defensive coaches. And when the game was 21-7, they had three very long drives that led to those 21 points, and that was another reason that I was getting concerned about the game because they weren't just driving on short fields. They were going all the way down the field, and it just didn't look like something we were going to stop until the second half. So right before the half, the Chiefs go up 28-14, with like two minutes, 18 seconds left in the half. And then we go into our two-minute drill. And again, that's how you win games. Score inside of two. Score right out of the locker room. That's exactly what we did. We marched downfield. They keep us out of the end zone. But we get a field goal with 41 seconds left. Not enough time for Mahomes to do anything. And we dodge two really big bullets. That Pringle kickoff return. 
at that point, I was like, man, I don't know if we're going to win this game, and then called back with a penalty. And it was a penalty, you know. As I say all the time, you guys have been playing football since seven, eight years old. You know you can't push someone and block someone in the back. And then the second dodging of a bullet was just an outstanding play by Von Bell. There was Tyreek Hill one-on-one downfield. I was surprised that Bell was even close to him because we know that Tyreek is like a 4-2 guy. And there he was. You let Tyreek go up for it on the way down, punch the ball out, save the game, Von Bell, once again. Thank you. So we come out of the locker room. We make the halftime adjustments that have contributed to so many wins this year. The offense was churning. We end up taking the lead, winning the game. The defense holds the Chiefs to three points in the second half. An amazing effort. We have the players, but that was a major coaching effort by Coach Anarumo and his staff. It's just unbelievable that we could have done that to the Chiefs in such a big, high-profile game. And it felt like the ways that we did it were we were running more zone, and we were blitzing less in the second half. Although we had the blitz at the end, which really opened up the game, and Mahomes threw it away, those two things, I think, were some of the adjustments that we made. Obviously, the adjustments are more specific than that, but that's what my eyes saw. And then what do we do when we get the ball coming out of the locker room? We score a touchdown in three plays. Mixon left for one yard. That play didn't work. We do a screen to Boyd, kind of a little miscommunication on there on the right side. The blockers didn't get out. Higgins was limping after it a little bit. Five yards. So here we are in a third and four. And we were in a third and four a few times in this game, and that's a pretty positive position to be in. You don't want to get in those third and longs. Third and four still gives you the ability to run it, even though it's pretty much a passing down. So what do we do on the third play out of the locker room? 69-yard touchdown pass to Jamar Chase. Just, we have arrived. And then the rest of the second half, just these long drives of ball control, kept Mahomes off the field for the most part. We had the 10-point swing at halftime, three before the half, seven right after the half, just all the ingredients to win the game. Then you hold them to the field goal. Then we get it with 6:01 left in the game. Now that's a scary time because you have plenty of time to score, but you also probably have plenty of time for Mahomes to get another shot at you. And what do we do? We go 74 yards down the field. That's the kind of football you want to see. That's the kind of games you want to watch where you're on the edge of your seat. 15 plays of being on the total edge of our seats. We can't thank this team enough for the entertainment value and the payoff at the end by winning the game. And then we have the two huge chase catches. The one down the sideline for the first down where he... He just grabs it off the hands of the other guy, and he's holding it with one hand out of bounds. And then a penalty and a sack lead us to a third and 27. And now you're thinking, we're in trouble here. Mahomes is going to get the ball, and this could be a loss at this point. And then we have that amazing 30-yard play to chase, which I'll break down the specifics of in just a minute. But when you're on third and 27, there's no way that you're getting a first down without a penalty. It's just so hard to do. I don't know the percentages in the NFL, but that is a low percentage conversion rate. And no fear. Burrow to chase all day long, and and they did it, and they, they saved the game. So then we have the ball with three minutes left, and we have that whole goal line situation at the end. The Chiefs should have let us score. At that point, you're down there. You're basically going to run out the clock and not give them a chance. It looked like we were going to get a touchdown. I mean, how do, how do you stop mixing when you're on the one-yard line? And the Chiefs defense did very, very good at it. But in doing so, they didn't leave themselves any time to come back in this game. So I think they should have just let us get in the end zone when it was under two minutes and, you know, try their luck with Mahomes on 
you know, maybe go to overtime if they score a touchdown. But they didn't. That's how the game went, and I'll take it every day of the week. Really, really exciting game. I, I was beside myself. I was beaming for the rest of the night. I couldn't wait to see highlights appear from the game because I was so proud of this team. I don't know. I didn't see it, but it looked like Mahomes just walked off the field and didn't shake Burrow's hand. I hope that's not the case. I really like Patrick Mahomes. I didn't want him to pull a Lamar Jackson and be a sore sport and do that. Maybe I'm wrong. If any one of you saw differently, let me know. But from what I saw, it didn't look like he shook Burrow's hand. So Mahomes, come on, man. I hope that didn't happen. All right, so let's quickly go over the key plays in the game. So the first one is that 72-yard touchdown by Chase, down 14-0. Answer them right back and say, you guys are in for a fight today. It's now 14-7. What did we do? We had three wide receivers, and you had Boyd go in motion all the way to the outside. So now Chase is in the slot, and Boyd is on the outside. Boyd just does like a little out route. Chase does a comeback, but he sees where the defenders are, and instead of doing a comeback to the middle of the field, you know, the turnaround to the middle, he turns around to the outside, which gives Burrow a better window to find him. The communication there was outstanding. Sometimes that ball is out before you know which way the receiver breaks. I don't know. I don't know if that was just an improv that they were both on the same page or just Burrow sees at the last second the way he's breaking or something. It was just this excellent synergy between these two guys. So he does the great comeback to the outside. The ball travels 18 yards in the air while Burrow's getting pressured, puts it on a dime. Chase grabs it and doesn't turn outside. Now he turns back inside. He makes a juke on a linebacker. And then just outruns everyone. And there you have Uzama downfield giving him one extra block on the safety. And there's Chase outrunning seven players. And it didn't look like it was going to happen. There was too much traffic there. You thought the corner from the other side was going to come over and have the angle. And just no one caught him. I was yelling every yard, every yard on that play. I was yelling with excitement. It was one of the best plays I've seen all season. And definitely the best play by Chase in this game. And the best of many, many good plays. The next big play was a Chase 18-yard touchdown. Of course, it's another Jamar Chase play and another Joe Burrow throw. Down 21-7. Again, two scores to the Chiefs, looking like trouble. Touchdown Chase, now 21-14. What do we do? Three wide receivers on the left. Chase all alone on the right. The safety on that side doesn't double-team Chase. He comes up to cover Mixon, who goes out into the flat. So now you just have a one-on-one on the outside where that safety might have wanted to play that a little more carefully. Maybe if he jumped on Chase, they were going to dump it down to Mixon. I'm not sure. But you get this one-on-one jump ball in the end zone. Chase goes up and gets it in a contested traffic catch and manages to get his feet in. He's got such a knack for the toe tap and getting his feet in. It was just another excellent play. The third big play is what we talked about earlier. Von Bell breaking up that pass right before the half. That was a game-saver. That ball traveled almost 70 yards in the air, and that was a case of Mahomes getting outside the pocket, buying extra time, and just letting that arm rip downfield. That was a very, very strong arm pass. Von Bell one-on-one against Hill. Hill makes the catch. Von Bell bats it out. Massive play in this game. Next big play was the chase go route for 69 yards right after the half. You had Pirine throwing a nice block in the backfield. The safety takes a bad angle, and Burrow just hits Chase in stride. That looked too easy. That was a decisive, easy touchdown. Perfect pass. No one's catching Jamar Chase. It it felt like, hey, you could just do this every play. But again, it takes more than that. It's not just drawing that up and hitting it. 
you know, the safety really contributed to that play being successful. Next big play was the Tyler Boyd five-yard touchdown to take the lead. He got a piece of the pie too. Jamar Chase lighting it up. Obviously, Tyler Boyd, a superstar receiver, and he makes a big play at a big time. What did we do on that? We had four wide receivers, trips to the left side. Now you have Boyd all the way on the inside by the offensive line. Chase and Higgins are on the same side. They just do these turnarounds near the front of the end zone, and that leaves Boyd to go all the way to the back of the end zone. It's You don't want to say it's a deep out because it wasn't like a, a 18, 25-yard out, but it was deep enough where he was in that corner, and Burrow just puts it in there, perfectly leads him. Boyd was wide open, so it was a great route, a great play call to have that kind of separation and to have Joe Burrow lead him like that and thread it in in the corner of the end zone. You know, anyone who's played quarterback, it's hard to get that ball into that corner of the end zone. That's got to be a perfect pass. And, of course, it was. Thank you, Joe. And the last big play I wanted to highlight was the Chase 30-yard catch on 3rd and 27. Again, you very rarely see that. What did we do? Same thing as earlier. Three wide receivers on the left, Chase alone on the right. You had Mixon and Uzama protecting, Max protect in the backfield, so Burrow had plenty of time. The Chiefs gambled and sent seven guys in and basically had one-on-one coverage on everyone in the back, and Burrow places that ball perfectly. I know it was contested, but you can't put that ball in a better place on a covered receiver, and there it was, Chase grabbing it, 30 yards, playoffs. All right, some individual performances. Joe Burrow continues to just wow us all and show that he is going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, maybe I'm getting a little premature on that, but, I mean, look at the way this guy plays at this at this stage in his career, and it's only going to get better. You can see him getting better every week. He became the all-time single-season leader for the Bengals in touchdown passes and yardage. And you could see, after every Kansas City touchdown, they would show Burrow on the sideline, and he just looked confident and prepared. He didn't look angry. He didn't look like, oh, man, what's going on with the defense? Why you let me hang out to dry like this? And it was none of that. He just had confidence, and you kind of just felt he was going to go out there and score, and that's what he did just repeatedly. He's reading the field better than ever. The accuracy that's been there is shining right now. And another thing that we don't talk about a lot is that quick release. You know, when you have an offensive line that's not giving you a lot of time or you're going five wides, you have to get the ball out quick. You have to make a very quick read, a very quick decision, and and have the physicality to make the release quick with your throwing motion. And he's doing all three of those things. And all the people that wanted to say that Joe Burrow ran it up against a decimated Ravens secondary, well, we just did it against the Chiefs secondary. We have a lot of named players who have a high, a lot of highly rated players and they're known as a good defensive backfield. So Joe, maybe he didn't ring up 500 yards, but he rang up 446 yards, four touchdowns. Didn't like to see him limping out there. And as I said, if, if he's not feeling good this week, then sit him out and give him the two weeks rest. But Joe Burrow's health is the ticket to this team succeeding, not only this year, but deep into the future. So that, that has to be our biggest priority from this moment on. And what does Joe say after the game? First quote, Well, that was fun. It certainly was, Joe. Wide receivers, I love the head coverings. I love what Chase and Boyd and Higgins are wearing. They look so tough, so cool. They just look like assassins out there with those head coverings on. Just a really good look. You don't see a lot of other players doing it. It's almost like they got their own thing going there. And, uh, hey, do whatever you want. You're looking cool, and you're playing like champions. Chase, 11 receptions, 266 yards, three touchdowns. 
set the single-season receiving yard record, passing his old teammate Justin Jefferson. He sets the single-game rookie record. He's on his way to rookie of the year. He's on his way to a massive career. I mean, he is special. The speed. We forget about the routes. The ability to get his feet in. Breaking tackles. Juking people. Just the whole package. And I say it during the game, too. You know, you're going to expect a drop or two out of Chase here and there. Maybe a drop a game. I don't know. But the plays that he makes make make those drops not even matter. You know, no one's perfect. And that's something that he's going to clean up in his, in his game as he progresses in his career. But I'll take the drops if this guy is going to put up these kind of game-changing numbers on a consistent basis. How many games is Jamar Chase responsible for us winning this year? I know it's Joe Burrow. But, I mean, there's been a lot of games that Chase broke open with his ability. And to get that out of a rookie receiver is just outstanding. I mean, A.J. Green is the best receiver in our history, and he's doing things that A.J. Green never did. And, you know, we all remember John Ross drafted in the same draft spot as Jamar Chase. And I think we've got more production out of Jamar Chase in in a game or two than in Ross's whole career. So the point is you never know what you're getting in the draft. And, you know, we knew what we were getting with this guy, and it totally worked out. Higgins wasn't involved a lot early, but you saw him smiling on the sideline, which is a, a, a tribute to this team, and it shows how unified we are, and that's the way you become a winning playoff championship team. So he didn't pout, and then he comes in with a big fourth down catch in the second half. He had a nice 39-yard catch on that one drive late in the game. So even though he wasn't the favorite target in this game, he still contributed, and he never got down about it. And, you know, there's a lot of wide receivers that are divas that if they don't get the ball in the first half, they become useless for the rest of the game because they're pouting about it. And that was certainly not the case with Higgins, and it paid off with a few big catches late. And Tyler Boyd, again, he's deceptively fast. You know he's got the the route running. He's an experienced veteran. He blocks well. He's got great hands. He's fearless. But he's faster than you think, and it shows on the field. He's made a lot of plays where I feel that people are underestimating his speed. And in this game, several big catches, some wide, wide open, and that big touchdown to go take the lead. What, what more can I say? I can rave about Burrow, Chase, Mixon, Higgins, Boyd all day long. You know, it's almost like I'm saying the same things I always say because these guys are just consistently doing high-level things. Tight end Uzama continues to have good game after good game. He's contributing in the blocking game. He had a couple big first downs in this game, a nice big third down catch. You know, he's that reliable, maybe fifth option. You know, if you think the three big receivers and Mixon, then Uzama's kind of your next choice. And he just always seems to get open and have runs after the catch. And like I said, on top of that, his blocking has never been better than it has been this season. On the last podcast, I was asking Coach Taylor to get Mixon more involved in the passing game. And I guess he listened because Mixon had seven big catches in this game. P. Ryan continues to be a reliable blocker and a big special teams contributor and just an excellent alternative to Mixon. You know, you know, you give him the ball, he's going to go forward for positive yardage. You know when he's in there, he's going to block someone and help protect Burrow. Offensive line, I, it's always like I compliment everybody, and then I then I start dissing on the offensive line, and I don't want to do that. I think Jonah had a good game. He blocks downfield as usual, hustles. Prince had a decent game. He got a lot of help with, with double teams and chips. Hopkins played decently in spots. Spain was out of the game. Adenogy was okay. You know, those those guys weren't horrible, but again, too many hits on Burrow. And then they showed the offensive line stats over the last two years, over the last 32 games, technically. 83 sacks. It's just way too many. 
Burrow is getting hit an average of 6.7 times a game. That's way too many. But I'm not going to turn this celebration into a critique of this team and criticism of our players. Offensive line, you guys contributed to a playoff run and an AFC North title. So even though I point out some of the negatives here and there, you know, you guys are winners. So I always like to take a look at the sacks just to see what went wrong, see what's fixable for the future. And uh, Joe was sacked four times this game. The first one, Uzama was one-on-one with Frank Clark on the outside. That's a mismatch. You never want to have a tight end one-on-one blocking one of their best pass rushers. So Uzama gets beat, sack number one. Sack number two was a play action, and we were going to set up a screen. So all the offensive linemen were going to the right. It was actually set up perfectly, except that Chris Jones was too fast and got into Burrow before we could do anything. You know, it was kind of a drive killer at the time. Like most sacks and most holding calls become what I like to say drive killers, and that one was one that was in particular. So on the third sack, they got pressure from the outside. No one's open downfield. And then Carmen finally lets up on his guy, and there's a sack there. That was more of a coverage sack than anyone's fault. But I guess if you had to put it on someone, that was a Jackson-Carmen sack allowed. And then on the last drive, the sack that almost wrecked the game for us, Prince got beat around the edge, forces Burrow up in the pocket, and then Carmen and Hopkins lose their double team on Jones, and he gets a sack on Burrow. So there it is, a tight end sack. One was a screen that the defender just played well on. Another one was pressure on the outside. Carmen lets up. The last one, pressure on the outside. Carmen lets up. So those are the sacks. You know, I'm just reporting what I saw. All right, on to the defensive line. Not their best effort against the run this year. I don't know if we sacked Mahomes at all. We did get some pressure at key times. Ogunjobi had a great game. And Hendrickson continues to light up in the second half like he did last game. You know, it's, it, that's showing that your conditioning is there and your effort is there and, you know, your adrenaline doesn't turn off, and that's exactly what we've seen out of him this season. I thought that Tooney did a pretty good job on Hendrickson. You know, when you when I saw Niango out, I was like, oh, it's going to be a field day now. And Reed made the right call. He got Tooney out there, and Tooney played decently, but Hendrickson was getting the better of him late in the game, even though it didn't translate to sacks. It translated to some pressures. It translated to a penalty as well. Linebackers, you saw a lot of one linebacker in there, and then they would have Flowers or Mike Thomas in there as like the extra linebacker or the person responsible for covering the tight end. Logan Wilson continued to be rangy. I think he's still finding his feet after being out for so long. You know, hopefully a week off will do him well, and he'll be back to form for the playoffs. Marcus Bailey had a tough game against the run. You know, I saw him get knocked down a lot in this game. You know, that's not his specialties. I would say he's more of a coverage speed sideline to sideline linebacker than a guy that you want in the middle when they're in goal line situations. And, you know, that that's just not his game. But he's relentless. The effort's there. He made that great tackle on Tyreek Hill. So, you know, he's more of a plus than a minus, obviously. And again, he's a backup that hasn't had many starts. So this is valuable experience for him. And we're going to need Marcus Bailey and Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt at full force for the playoffs. And my girl and I were drawing attention to Austin Calitro. He was as fired up as any player on the field, and you got to respect that. You know, a late-season pickup, a practice squatter, forced into special teams duty because of injuries, and he was just putting in full effort, ready to fight anyone on the Chiefs that came at him. It was, it was exciting to see. I was kind of like silently rooting for him the whole game because you just loved to see that kind of hustle and toughness and grit. 
Awuzie continues his Pro Bowl season where he actually didn't make the Pro Bowl, but the coverage was outstanding. I think he led up two receptions to Hill, which is a great feat in itself. He's tackling well as always. There was one tackle where he had one of the offensive linemen all over him, knocking him to the ground, and he still makes the tackle. And he also made a couple big plays out in space. When you're one-on-one with a, a quick receiver or a big tight end and you get that guy on the ground, you know, you turn something into a two-yard loss or a very small gain that could easily be a first down if you don't do your job there. And he's just doing it no matter how fast the guy is, no matter how big the guy is, he's just making all the tackles. Hilton had the interception that he dropped. Apple had the interception that he dropped. Two plays that could have changed the complexion of the game, but at least they're getting their hands on the ball. You know, Apple had the TD that he let up early, and, you know, it it almost looked like he was looking for help over top that he didn't get. But they buckled down to really limit this great receiving core to nothing this game. Bates was solid in coverage, had that great blitz. And you forget about the times where he's the last line of defense and makes a tackle, and you saw that happen this game. You know, it's just a tackle, hey, we're all good, but you don't realize if he didn't make that play, that's a touchdown and possibly contributing to a loss. So that's it. We did it. We achieved We achieved our goal. We got past the Browns, who were supposed to win the division. We got past the Steelers, who were supposed to always be good. We got past the Ravens, who everyone picks as a, a number one team in the division. We did it. We won it. We were the best team in our division. We're going to the playoffs. Joe Burrow stayed healthy all year. Joe Burrow showed that he is going to be the best quarterback in the league in a very short period of time. And he only has two guys in front of him right now, Brady and Rodgers, because they've been doing it for so long at a high level. I mean, maybe you want to throw Mahomes into that mix. But right now, if I was starting a franchise and I had to have a quarterback, it would be Joe Burrow over any of those guys. So what do we do from here? We go into the playoffs with an intelligent game plan. We be prepared to make halftime adjustments. Everyone continues to play like they're playing and not let anything get too big for them. And that's the thing about this team. It's a very loose team. They've been battle-tested in a lot of tough positions, and they have the poise and the ability to get things done. We've been doing it all year, and that's going to take you into the playoffs, and that's going to take you far into the playoffs. I just cannot wait to see what the rest of this season is going to hold for us. X's and O's with Sans. All right, we're here with Sans. Sans, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing great, my friend. I wanted to get your thoughts after this huge win and, you know, where we're going from here. Just in general, this is one of the best Bengals wins that I can really ever remember, especially in the past three years, Zach Taylor era. They used to have him as the... uh, the one of the favorites to be the first coach fired, and now I think he is the favorite for coach of the year. So that's pretty crazy how those awards go. But, man, you have a statement win like that, and you're the game of the week, and you beat the number one team in the AFC. Not much you could say to doubt it. He was awesome. Uh, the team was awesome. Great come-from-behind victory. Saw a lot of takes about how the game was over at 14 nothing, and then the game was over again at – 21-7 or whatever it was <laughs> they all got proven wrong <laughs> that's why you don't game's not over at two scores it's a ridiculous take but uh yeah i i had a ton of fun watching i'm sure everybody that's listening to this had a ton of fun watching it was it was just one of the best games i can remember watching and it solidified the Bengals both as the afc north champions and as a true contender 
I totally hear you, and it's well deserved for us Bengal fans that follow through thick and thin. You know, we're we're following every snap on a two and fourteen season, and now we're following every snap on you know what could be an eleven win deep into the playoff season. So very well deserved on on your part, my part, everyone's part. So lots of respect out to the Bengal fans that stay diehard. Sands, I wanted to ask you from an X's and O's standpoint. How did you feel about the offensive line's play? Because I thought that Burrow was running for his life again. I was a little worried about Jackson Carmen in there. It didn't seem like he was excelling. The right side of the line had some issues. You know, it was kind of coming from all fronts. Overall, after watching the film on the game, what do you think about the offensive line's performance? Yeah, Burrow got sacked about, he got sacked four times. And I want to say he probably made at least another four miss. And, I mean, you could think of him with a Tyron Matthew in the backfield on, like, the third play of the game. Um, there's a, another snap with a free runner that he makes a miss, and he runs for positive yards. A, a couple more like that. Chris Jones, when he tears the nameplate off of the back of his jersey, he escaped a sack there. So they've got the quarterback to have kind of a poor offensive line, kind of makes it look better than it is. I think if you had an Andy Dalton back there, he's probably getting sacked eight times in this game, and it's not even close game because this offensive line is really struggling. And it's one thing that they're really struggling, and it's against Chris Jones, right? And he's an elite defensive tackle, three technique, strong, powerful dude, but he's also got quick, quick hands. He was really getting everybody trouble. Anytime he was left one-on-one, it felt like he dominated that person, whether that was Jackson Carmen, He even got Quentin Spain a time, and he got uh, Kima Genji a couple times, and even Trey Hopkins. So all four of them, none of them could block him one-on-one. And when he got the slide, when he got the center help, a lot of times he, he was picked up correctly, and it worked out. But there's two plays that stick in my mind when I rewatch that. Man, he beats the man on the line, and then – Trey Hopkins is trying to pick him up, and he just overpowers Hopkins, too. It's like, <laughs> how do you block a guy like that? He's not Aaron Donald, but, man, is he good. But the thing about this is that you're going to face somebody like that in the playoffs every round. Maybe not the Patriots, but then you're facing the best football coach of all time and one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of football. So, yeah, there'll probably be some other issues that come with that. You face the Colts, you face DeForest Buckner, he's the same thing. Bengals faced him last year. He, he uh, got some pressure on Burrow, did some stuff like that. Uh, you face the Chargers, you get Joey Bosa. You face the Raiders, you get Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe. You, you're going to face a guy like that in every playoff game. So you have to have a better answer than, well, Burrow, just escape the sack and we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll just get six yards every time we're about to get sacked because you could be a Houdini. What do you think schematically we can do to help out that offensive line? So one of the wins, the three technique, the slide, like I just talked about, even though he beat it a couple times, he a very low pressure percentage. I don't have it in front of me or anything. Just when I watched, when he got the slide, he got the center help. He didn't get that much pressure. It was just a few times, and that's when you take note that, oh, wow, he beat two guys, the double team on this play, essentially. So you want to slide to guys like that. Aaron Donald gets the slide, like, nearly every snap. There's ways to beat that, and... I mean, the Chiefs have some good edge talent, too, and Melvin Ingram and Frank Clark who got a sack, so you can't just slide and leave those guys one-on-one, so now you got a chip over there. There's a few other things. You could trap them. You could try to run a few plays. It'll slow them down. Just your general short trap is you leave him unblocked, and then you have one of the guards come through and try to take his head off, <laughs> get the running back running behind it. 
Bengals don't run that play that often, but I think it would be useful against a guy like Chris Jones or a guy like DeForest Buckley. You saw how amped Chris Jones was to come and get off the ball. Imagine he's coming off the ball, he's five yards in the backfield and gets blasted by a guard. I mean, I was hoping they'd run that a few times, but they never did. DeForest Buckner, I think, is a little bit better about seeing the trap coming and blowing that up if they do play the Colts. But, uh, yeah, that, there's a few ways to help mitigate it there. I mean, you need guys to step up, but it's at this point in the season, I, I just don't know if they will. They're too young to, to for me to say in their past they've done this or something like that. They, they are what they are right now, and they're getting better, but they're not going to make a leap into being able to take on any of these beasts one-on-one right now. Other than that, when it's the edge guys, it's the same idea. You could either slide to them and give the tackle help with the guard, or you can – I like early chips when it comes to edge rushers where you get a tight end that's going to hit him as he releases onto a route or maybe even more than just a hit. Maybe he full-on blocks him until he gets beat and then he just leaks out for a little dump off if uh, the quarterback still has the ball. I don't like the late help where a running back comes out of the backfield and tries to chip as after he already scans and looks to see if there's any blitzers. Now I'm going to go chip my guy, chip your guy, and then run out into a route. The, the issue with that comes the tackle doesn't know when that chip is coming. So you have an idea, one and a half seconds, I'm going to get a chip. But a lot of times these really good edge rushers like a Joey Bosa, they can take the momentum of that chip and beat you to the inside. And you actually saw this against the Raiders. Jonah Williams gets up a sack, but it's not really his fault because he's blocking Yannick Ngakwe well. I think it was Ngakwe. And then he gets a chip out of the backfield, designed, and the running back didn't do anything wrong. But Ngakwe just takes the momentum of that and gets to the inside of Williams before he can react. And he clearly didn't expect the chip to come right then and then he beats him to the inside for a sack. So I like early chips from tight ends on edges, and I like sliding towards the threat as a three technique. I like sliding to him and trying to get a double with two offensive linemen. Pretty sound advice. I hope Coach Pollock's listening to you on this. All right, so in the second half of this game, first half it was score for score. Second half, the Bengals pretty much hold them to a field goal and nothing else. What were you seeing defensively to – make this big turnaround? Did we like What were the halftime adjustments, and what are your strategic thoughts on that? I think one thing is that the offense helped out the defense really a lot in the second half. Long drives from the offense. I think they punted on the first one, but then two long touchdown drives. The Chiefs only got the ball three times. So they scored a point per possession, but it's they only got the ball three times. So you get a field goal on one of those, but other than that, it, a few punts. I think they did a good job of limiting explosive plays. I thought they limited Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey better in the second half, but overall in the game they did a pretty good job. I'm sh- I saw all the takes about how the Bengals can't cover tight ends when Travis Kelsey would catch a five-yard pass. Every time that happened, there was, why can't the Bengals just cover these tight ends? Well, because they're freaks, because these guys are uncoverable. You put the, It used to be you put the linebacker on him and he's too slow and your safety is uh, too small. Now it's your safety's too slow and your cornerback's too small. <laughs> you know, they're just getting faster, quicker, stronger. They're just insane to cover. Uh, Travis Kelsey in the playoffs last year, he broke Denzel Ward's ankles with his feet. He didn't push him or anything. And you expect that whoever is just going to be okay covering Denzel Ward's a good coverage corner and he couldn't keep up with them. So you're going to give up some to these guys. And Tyreek Hill's the fastest player in the NFL. 
and they did a great job. They did a great job limiting those two guys. And when you limit those two guys, it's kind of like putting a chokehold. Okay, now we need, and these guys played well in the game, but you need Daryl Williams, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman, all these guys to step up because the star players aren't going to be the ones to bail them out of this game. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, but you can't stop Patrick Mahomes from getting the ball in his hands. So try to make him throw to the guys that aren't as talented. And when it happened, they, they kept up in the first half, but it felt like they, they just weren't getting open as often in the second half. I think Trey Hendrickson also stepped up, got some pressure. They, they got some more pressure on Mahomes. They were getting pressure in the first half, but it, every time they came way outside, and this made sense because Mahomes likes to drift a little bit in the pocket. He likes to go backwards. He doesn't love stepping up. He did in this game, but it was a change because whenever I've watched him, I see uh, he, he likes to back up a little bit because he has the rocket launcher arm that can overcome. I'm 20 yards deep in the backfield, but I can still throw a 30-yard out route before a cornerback can make a play on it. So just something like that. He has the arm to overcome it. In this game, he's, he was stepping up a lot, uh, a little bit of a little run type thing when he steps up. He doesn't step up like Tom Brady. Uh, but he likes to throw on the run, too. He's he's a fun quarterback to watch. He's very talented. To me, the the best thing they did was limit the explosive plays. They got off the field. They should have caught those interceptions, <laughs> but they got off the field twice, and they Chiefs only got the ball three times in that half, and that's really how you limit Mahomes is to take the ball out of his hands. Wow, so much to unpack there. You're right. Those those dropped interceptions are killer. That's something that deep in the playoffs we have to we have to fix. You're right about the tight ends being unicorns, and you're right about Mahomes. You give him time to roll, and he can just find anybody, anytime, even on that last second, 20, 25 yard out down the field. So, you know, I, I totally agree on all fronts of your analysis there. All right, so let's last thing for now. Let's let's play Coach Sands. You're now a coach of the Bengals, and we're going into this last game against the Browns, Week 18. How do you approach it as far as starting people, resting people, aggressiveness, non-aggressive? What what would you do if you were the head coach? Ooh, uh, man, I would hate to make this decision because it sounds I already see Tyler Boyd saying he wants to play and things like that. Me personally, I'd probably rest Burrow. I'd probably rest Mixon. He's had a lot of touches this year. I'm probably resting Chase. If Boyd really wants to go, I'd let him play. I mean, he'll have an opportunity to get 1,000 yards because he might be the only receiver, <laughs> only starting receiver on the field for Coach Sands if I was out there. But, yeah, I'd be resting a lot of starters. I wouldn't be that aggressive in the game. I mean, I want to win, but to me it, it, it would be it would mean more. Getting swept by the Browns sucks, but you won the AFC North. And it would mean more to win your first playoff game since 1990 than it would to beat the Browns and split the series. So it's a meaningless Week 18 game. Yeah, Week 18? Oh, it's messing with me to have 17 games now. Yeah, Week 18 game. It's a meaningless Week 18 game to me, and I'm much more interested in trying to get ready for the first playoff game. Love the takes. Hopefully the organization hires you one of these days, man. How do people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Bengals underscore Sands. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Frankie, how you doing, buddy? All right, my friend. What a big-time win for us Bengal fans. But before we go into that, what are your thoughts on the Bearcats game? I know it was the biggest game in their history. You know, what went right, what went wrong? What's your overall vibe? Well, you know, you, you... they'll end up number four in the country 
which, you know, hats off to them. They exceeded expectations for a, uh, a non-power conference. Listen, you give Nick Saban two weeks to prepare, and that's what you're going to get. They couldn't stop the run. What they said was they copied Tulsa's game plan when Tulsa played Cincinnati, but they executed it with four and five-star players. And that's the result. You know, you, you wish it could have been better, but hey, I'm not, I, I enjoyed every single snap I watched of the Bearcats, and this is just the start with this uh, Luke Fickle team. Wasn't what we wanted, but I guess they saved it for the, the, the gods saved it for Sunday to shine on Cincinnati. I hear you on that. And, and I'll tell you, this is going to give the Bearcats a little more exposure, too. They'll probably have a better time recruiting from here. You know, maybe Absolutely. this is maybe this is the beginning Absolutely. of them being a top rated team for years to come. Absolutely. They're going two years will be in the Big 12 conference. So they'll be playing the Oklahoma States, the Baylors and a lot of other teams that are power conference teams. So um, it will give this uh, university a real boost it needs to be a, a contender each and every year. And speaking of contenders, how you feeling about our Bengals, man? Oh, Frank, listen, if I would have known if it took me to leave the state of New Jersey, for the Bengals to win, I would have been gone years ago. But what a game. If Joe Burrow doesn't win the MVP, he better be right there next to, say, Aaron Rodgers. Because what this guy does is gives this team a chance each and every week. And it's not just Burrow. It's, you know, of course it starts with Burrow, but... You know, hats off to the people that we killed during the last few years, the, the Duke Tobins, the Mike Browns, the coaching staff. These guys spent the money on defense. These guys picked the guys in the draft. They went out and did what they said they were going to do. We wanted them. We needed them, Zach Taylor and Associates, not just to win six games. We needed them to win nine, ten games. Like you said last week, have meaningful December games to knock off Kansas City and to go places where this franchise has never, ever been in a year where Burrow coming off a serious knee injury is phenomenal. I feel so much more confident in this group compared to the Carson Palmer years with Marvin Lewis than I've ever felt. Frank, this team, what they did not only offensively to Kansas City, but defensively. How many times do we complain on the Marvin Lewis years that they would go into halftime and come out without changing a thing and get ran off the field because they just ran the same stuff, no changes. The last two, three, four weeks, 
they have gone into halftime and made adjustments. Hey, listen, <laughs> what they pulled at that last series at the goal line, hey, it was pretty shaky. But you know something? How many times has us Bengal fans seen us go and just be satisfied? Well, let's just kick the field goal. Let's tie. And, and how many times have we seen a team have 40-something seconds and drive the field and stab us in the heart? You know something good for Zach Taylor? You know, Monday morning quarterback, hey, we won. But you know something? He exercised some demons. And as a Bengal fan, I'm thrilled this team has the ability to make it to at least a championship, AFC championship game, let alone the Super Bowl. Listen, in a year coming off of Joe Burrow's knee injury, the sky's the limit, Frank. And I know you're pumped as well. I'll tell you, Tom, we're on the same page on a lot of those things. I agree with you that the second half adjustments over the last month or two have been incredible. Everything that you're saying, I'm, I'm right there with. It's amazing, Frank. I, and, and I, Carson Palmer came back from his knee injury, and he was skittish. He wasn't the same player. Burrow has got that fire. He knows it. And he can't be stopped. And I'm telling you, the NFL has woken up to him and has realized this kid is the real deal. And finally, we as Bengal fans have a quarterback. Yeah, and I think with him leading the way, th- these are the best. I was saying this during the game to my girlfriend. I-, I think that this is the best Bengal team I've seen since the Super Bowl run back in 88. I know that sounds crazy. I know we had some, you know, the 2005 team was great. The 2014-15 teams were great. You know, we had, we had all those runs, but there's just something different about this. And I think that, that X factor is Burrow, as you just mentioned. Listen, I think that 88 team was as complete as possible. Yes, this team has some shortcomings. And, you know, it starts with the offensive line. He's getting hit too much. But this is why I point the finger now at Mike Brown. He has got to. I'm not saying go crazy, spending money, and he has to go get free agents. And, you know, listen, you're still built by the draft. You know it has to be done. But other than that 88 team, like I said, which was pretty complete, they had a great offensive line, great play-action quarterback, great running backs, excellent receivers. The defense was solid other than Fulcher and... Eric Thomas, those two were pretty much household name. The other ones were very solid contributors and solid players. This team is the same on defense. They have a couple guys that they went out and got that are playing good ball. Other than maybe the defensive backs, maybe working on catching the ball a little more because I, a couple of those balls should have been interceptions, but... You know, can't cry was spilled milk. They won the game. Uh, other than uh, shoring up the offensive line on this offense, this team is set for years to come. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly where I'm at, too. If if they put a little money into the offensive line, and I almost feel, I mean, we could talk about this more in the offseason, but just to touch on it now, I think that you go with 
some free agents on the offensive line as opposed to a first or second round pick that you're waiting to develop. I think maybe you, you try to grab maybe like two really top-notch proven starters, and they're all going to want to come here to protect Burrow and be a part of this magic. So I think that might be I, the goal for this offseason. But again, we're probably getting a little ahead of ourselves. No, you, you hit the nail on the head, Frank. We need veteran help. The draft should be for the best players available. Like you say, we're, we were looking at this past draft. Got to go offensive line. That's what I was saying. But no, go with the best player. And hats off to do Tobin. He went with Chase. And it, look what it's done. It's elevated this franchise. So I totally agree with you. You know, there's a guy over at the University of Cincinnati, Sauce Gardner, waiting to be a pro. He can fit in very nicely in this defense. So, uh, yes, I totally agree with you, Frank. Bring in veteran help to shore up the linemen that can learn behind veterans. Yeah, I'm waiting for the day they sign Sauce or they draft Sauce. That would be <laughs> a really good story for the for Cincinnati and the organization. Tom, let me give you one more question. So now we have Tom McLevy as the new head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. What does he do heading into this Week 18 matchup against the Browns? You're resting people. You go in full bore. What are your thoughts? I play them for a quarter. I play them for a quarter and then get Burrow out of there. Burrow doesn't need to be in there other than just getting a, a, a rhythm that, you know, another week, another Sunday, they play. The Colts did it a few years back with Peyton Manning, and it backfired on them. And when they got in the playoffs, it took them three quarters to get going again. I say no. You can't be scared to play these guys, but yet be smart. Burrow, just get him in there for a quarter and then get him out and then work the other guys in there too. What about Mixon? A quarter. He's uh, That's another, you know what you got with him. Don't get him banged up. Just get him into the feel of working a week, play Sunday, and then get him out. You know, use more Chris Evans and P. Ryan. Use uh, your down the short guys on wide receiver, but I'd say play them guys. Like I said, get them used to the schedule. Don't just take them out when you have a game on Sunday. So you know, there's ways around it. You could be smart. You're going to Cleveland. The conditions will probably be pretty nasty. So just get them out there in the field of football. Tom, it's so good to talk to you after a huge win like this, my friend. You as well, pal. And, you know, uh, who day? I mean, this we've gotten here sooner than we thought. The Unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, how are you today? Uday Nation, we here. I'm doing great, Frank. What a day to celebrate. I mean, a, a huge win, maybe our biggest win in years. What are your thoughts on, on the win and everything that's going on right now? That this is the exact kind of moment that we've all been sort of building up and waiting for. You have a big-time opponent coming in your house. They've won eight straight games. 
and you were playing your best football as of late, and and you just feel like that you just had to get over that that hump. That there's something about winning this game would just be able to just just give the kiss of death to other teams and let them know that you're not going to stop us. We've worked incredibly hard for this, and we're going to go out here and seize this moment. And they did. You know, we were talking about it being a statement win versus a signature win. Yes, sir. I would definitely elaborate on that. So a statement win. Those are usually easily defined by, you know, planting your foot in the ground and then just says that, you know, enough is enough. We're going to go bully you around. We're going to blow you out. You're not going to stop us. When I think of the games early in the season against the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers sweeping those teams, that, that was a statement. That was a statement that we were making to the division and that the league sort of took notice that we were arriving. But those just wasn't one of those encapsulating moments where it just sort of defined this Bengals era. A signature win is usually defined by sort of a build-up moment with everything that leads that you've done before comes together in this formal fashion that you cannot really put your finger on how to actually define it, but you just feel it that that's here. And that win against the Kansas City Chiefs in the manner that how it even came too, starting off being down twenty-eight to fourteen or twenty-eight to seventeen at the half, and then just coming back, winning the game. Patrick Mahomes plays one of his better games, and we ended up keeping pace with him throughout the whole entire game, and ended up just seizing the moment and then just taking a win. Justin, you've been a Bengal fan a long time, just like I have. How do you think this team ranks and stacks up compared to some other of our teams and our playoff teams? Man, that's a tough one because I really want to say that this Bengals team is really one of the best that I've ever seen. But at the same time, they're not done growing. They're they're not done yet. This is the infancy stage of this Bengals team, and I think that they're going to get better. I'm not going to necessarily put this particular Bengals team over our 2015 team, the year that we unfortunately lost to that wild card game against Pittsburgh. We're not going to mention that. Even the old five Bengals team, where it felt like that that was almost like sort of the peak of the powers during the Carson Palmer era. But this Joe Burrow's Bengals team, you just feel like that it's becoming one of the best units that you've ever seen, not just from a statistical standpoint, but when future years arrive, they're going to be making case for the best teams in NFL history. Like, Joe Burrow already broke all of the franchise passing yards and touchdowns in his second year alone. And the Bengals have been in existence since 1968. You know, Justin, you made an interesting parallel when we were talking earlier about when Manning actually beat Brady, and now you're seeing, like, Burrow beat Mahomes. I mean, maybe I'm getting a little premature in those comparisons, but... Yeah, and that actually goes back to the point what I made about the signature wins. It's usually defined by a signature moment. Peyton Manning, for the longest time, New England was his hurdle when it comes to winning games in the playoffs. He couldn't beat New England in, in the game. Like He couldn't beat New England at all, it seems like, when it came to postseason time. The Patriots had had his number. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. Uh, it's for some reason, that was the, that was the team that, he had to go against or go through in order to make it feel like Peyton Manning has earned his rights to winning a Super Bowl. For the other end of the spectrum, Tom Brady has already beaten Peyton Manning multiple times to get to his championship. So it never really wasn't anything that he had across. It was more that the Patriots were the mountain for Peyton Manning. And then in 2006, when he finally got over that hurdle and beat Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in his house, to get to the Super Bowl and actually win a Super Bowl from there, it just felt right. 
Like, you just feel like the storyline just needed to write itself. I'll even go one step further when it comes to Tom Brady. One of the games that we always remember is the tuck rule game. That game was a divisional playoff round against the Raiders. The Raiders were a pretty special opponent back in 2001. The Raiders were a really great team that year. People forget Jerry Rice, Tim Brown. The tuck rule game is the one game that everybody remembers, especially if you're a Patriots fan. But more or less everybody remembers because it was such a defining moment and what laid the first brick to being what was the Patriots dynasty when they won their first three Super Bowls. It was from that defining moment at all. So when I go back to the Bengals and compare it to even Brady and Mannings, and there's other quarterbacks that I can throw in there as well too, Joe Burrow's win over Patrick Mahomes speaks a lot of volume because it wasn't like Patrick Mahomes was playing a slouch game. It wasn't like that he was giving the game away. It wasn't like that Patrick Mahomes just had a bad day. No, Patrick Mahomes played that game lights out to win the game. And he was boat racing our entire defense. And I thought, man, it was going to be a long day. But to see the fight that Burrow just had, the glare in his eyes, like, you just knew he wasn't going to lose. That in that throw to Jamar Chase on third and 27, that was a signature moment right then and there of itself because the game would have been lost if we didn't make that throw and catch. But Jamar just made that catch. It was just unreal. And I just could not believe what I was seeing in front of my eyes. Like, this is it. This is it. This is the moment. We're going to win this game. And this is the moment that everybody's going to see. Yeah, I, I got that during the game, too. I mean, there was a couple moments that you just got to chill down your spine. And you were like, wow, we are actually refusing to lose. As a coach, all right, say Justin Lacey is now the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. How do you approach this upcoming game against the Browns as far as playing your starters, playing the win? Like, what are your thoughts on what you would do here? Well, first of all, I would have to keep drying some tears of joy out of my eyes when I get ready to approach the team because I'm just so proud of their performance against the Chiefs. <laughs> so that's the first thing. But how I approach this week coming up against the Browns is, is simple. Just be safe. You've, you've locked up the division. you locked up the playoff spot. But don't stop there. Keep that thing going. I understand that what people's fear uh, comes from about, like, potentially people getting hurt. They saw Joe Burrow had a limp off the field there um, after his knee got twisted up a little bit. But he should be fine. I'm not really going to be overly concerned with that, especially if my quarterback's saying he's good, he's good. But at the same time, the other part of me is just, like, go out there and just send another message to Cleveland fans more than all that you're not going to be the team that's going to keep having our number because, you know, they did beat us earlier during the season, and it was pretty convincingly. So a part of me is just like, let's just go out there and let's just handle business. How I would make, I would pretty much say, let's let's go out there and play the first half. You know, just just play all your guys first half and just get it going. And you know, who knows? Maybe some things are going to fall in your favor where you may get the number one seed. And then, but if not, no harm, no foul. But just still go out there and play to win the game because the, the job's not finished. Yet. And we want to be able to push Cleveland over the edge and think, make them think that, you know what, this, it's over for you too. Even though they've already been eliminated from playoff contention, but it's over for Cleveland. You're not going to go into next year thinking that you're going to have our number. I love the way you think, my friend. How do people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram, Juddy13, J-U-T-T-Y-1-3. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 10-6 and and in first place in the AFC North and have clinched first place for the season and a playoff berth. 
The Steelers are in second place at 8-7-1. and one. The Ravens are in third at 8-8. Eight and eight. And the Cleveland Browns are in fourth place at 7-9. and nine. The Bengals are currently the third seed in the AFC. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a playoff preview, and we're going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. And especially the recent Jamar Chase post, it's amazing. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. Unofficial Bengals Podcast.